This episode is powered by Safety FM. Welcome to the Safety Consultant Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Primus. This is a show where I teach you the business of being a safety consultant. And this week, we are going to continue our conversation with Uncle Bill Stetner. Uh, first episode, we started talking about the relationship between ASSP and BCSS, BCSP. And then also we started talking about uh, how safety, we should be doing things where we change and not just lock things in. Uh, we also talked about the CEUs and the requirements and a few other things. Uh, continuing our conversation, though, we start talking a bit about inclusion and how these practices that uh, has been done has been excluding people. And the criteria is really hard for some people to to truly get their certifications or the designations. And why is that? And then uh, just a few other stuff as we uh, had our a little brain dump. So I'll go ahead and finish up this conversation with Bill. And it was wonderful. You guys hopefully had a wonderful time listening to him and just learning a little bit about this this process. And I hope it's going to affect some change. So like before, I'm actually going to say bye now and just tell you to please like, I guess it's more like subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to me. Uh, and uh, share it, please. That's going to help the algorithms if you share it with someone. And I want to thank you for being listeners. Just thank you. All right. And next week, we're actually going to have Phil LaDuke. So stick around next week. We're going to talk to Phil LaDuke, talk to him about some of the movie issues that are happening because he is a safety expert for the movie field uh, with the whole tragedy with Alec Baldwin and just a few things uh, related to his safety on the field. And then also we talked a lot about his books and, uh, and a few other things. So this week you got the finishing episode with uh, with Uncle Bill. And then next week you guys are going to have Phil LaDuke. So stay tuned. Go get him. But your crux of the question could be flawed uh, or uh, just just the whole thing is, do you want to? <laughs> and uh, and truly, you know, like you, you said a whole bunch there. And part of it is the plight of of inclusion, like you just ended up your conversation is. And that inclusion goes to if, you know, BSCP and uh, the BCSP, they have their own program and everything else. But the criteria where it takes to to get the quintessential or the the thing that everyone thinks is being the top safety certificate out there to CSP and just by nature of it being inclusive enough that you have to get your your bachelor's that in itself throws everybody way out of whack where you can't even qualify for this thing if you can't get you know your foot in the door which is their their prerogative but inclusion if let's say you know you want to take it out of bcsp and move it into assp which should be you know an inclusive organization uh and in the cases they are uh what you're you're also going to be thinking of is that that individual how now are they going to meet the criteria to get in there if they're never even given the opportunity to get 
the the college degree or anything similar to that. So your your whole premise is exactly what the, the diversity conversation is, is why can't you look at my experience? Why can't you look at the things I was available to have and use this as equivalent criteria of growth? So it's kind of like OSHA's definition for a qualified person. You know, you right. don't have to have a degree as long no. as you could demonstrate that you are an expert in this project or at this task. So why don't we have that in the system? Okay, so a competent person doesn't have to have a degree. A qualified person has to have some form of education, but they recognize that that education can take many forms. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's the wording. The problem is, uh, with being it's a basically... safety person is every time somebody says something, you have to correct Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no. But uh, but with the with the qualified, it's really it's really tricky because you don't need a degree. You don't need to no. recognize anything. What you need to know is, according to the definition, is you have to be able to uh, have what is the, the the equivalent of being an SME, a subject matter, matter expert, expert. And then you must be able to demonstrate. That's the crux of that of that definition. Exactly. So if you can't get it, then. Yeah. And I think this is the same thing. It's like, you got to be able to demonstrate it, you know? No, exactly. And if you can, then why don't you expect it? I don't have the degree, but look, I'm showing you, I could do this. And, and if, if you look at graduation rates, uh, either based on race, age, gender, sexual orientation, disabilities, there are definite uh, stratifications, right? If you're a Caucasian female from a middle-class family, oh yeah, I forgot economic economic uh, uh, background. If if you're a Caucasian female from an, uh, a, a middle-class family, you are probably a college graduate, right? However. If if you're a woman of color who's a single mother and possibly disabled, you most probably are not. Just based on the numbers that come from the various colleges and accreditation bureaus, right? So who are we excluding? Are we excluding the people who aren't competent or are we just excluding people who didn't have the ability to go to college? And that's that's the that's the whole thing right there. And right. I think it's they wanted to. And it was a, it's it's a calculated thing because it's in the bylaws or I should say it's in the rule books. So that means that we they they wanted to. So that in my case, that or, or my thinking is, yeah, if you wanted to make that as an exclusion, then now that we're changing and and you started saying, you know, we're 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 still working on a dinosaur system, you know, the the system needs to update it to so you know exactly what you're talking about. There are if you're making exceptions for any type of degree, then why are we even talking degree? Let's go ahead and talk about everything else that that people are doing that should be equivalent. I I, I hear that, man. That that's so good. So, so we've got, like you said, we've got all these problems with our system, and we want to make some changes. But the change we're concentrating on has nothing to do with all our problems. Right. This whole uh, removing uh, the House of Delegates uh, from a voting position 
where they get to approve the actions of the board of directors doesn't solve any of these other problems. You know, let's solve some of these other problems first, right? We, we've got a, a diversity and inclusion problem. We've got an equity problem. We've, we've got a perception problem, both inside and outside of our profession, right? You can't swing a dead cat without hitting something that's wrong. So let's, let's fix some of these things. Right. Is the incentive there to fix it? Uh, do you, I mean, it's like usually when you when you're looking for incentives, you're looking for, especially in businesses, does the dollar say that that this is something we should be doing? I know that's callous to say, but no. the, but but if the if the lights aren't on, you're not helping anybody. Okay, yeah. unless it's a movie theater. <laughs> so, but here's the thing: uh, Did anyone ever say to you? Do the right thing and success will follow. Yes. Okay. At any time before you were nine years old, did you believe that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, I want to throw an idea at you, and it's going to sound crazy. But we as a safety profession are constantly saying to our direct customers, the companies that hire us as consultants or employees or what have you, that if we do the right thing, we will be ahead in the long run. So if that's true, then why don't we prove it by doing the right thing and watch how much money comes in? Right? Because think about it. If, if we can rebuild the perception of the safety professional and the safety profession, then you and I, as safety professionals, we're going to make more money. That's going to make us happy. Yeah. We're going to have an easier time doing our jobs because when we say things, people won't say, huh, that's the safety guy again. Huh, 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 you won't believe what he just said. Okay. Mm-hmm. More people will want to be members of the safety profession. Right, which will not only continue the profession, but also continue dues and things like that. Right. And your education system will still be valid, but instead of people paying for a CEU, they're paying for knowledge. And then you've got a minor problem in that if they don't receive any knowledge, they're going to want their money back. Right. So hard work generally leads to more hard work. Well, you're also looking at two different entities, too, if you're thinking of certificate, because, you know, offhand, no one really knows that. And and I had to look it up myself and I'm literally looking at the website right now. But no one really knows that there are three certifications that ASSP has uh, that I'm looking at are program certification programs, the safety management, the leadership and safety management, global safety management. But the counterpart or their partner, uh, BCSP, is a marketing juggernaut. So if now you uh, you take away the gravitas, if you will, of any of their signature credentialing, 
to start doing something fair as ASP as an entity, you now have a direct competition, if you will, well, no, uh, between that organization unless they change their structure. I, I want to throw an idea at you. See, I, I think I think I probably misrepresented something, but right now there is direct competition between BCSP and AS, ASSP for uh, 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 members and dollars. Okay, we're not, uh, the ASSP isn't saying we're not going to accept any of these other certificates that you have, right? We're just saying, we're saying these are, this is what a professional is, and this is how a professional should be judged, because we are the society of the safety professionals, and we have the ultimate say in what that is. So that doesn't oh. detract from the BCSP having however many. Uh, they're still on influence because go right now and try to tr become a member on the ASSP site. They don't even have all the designations. I can't put in my COs, uh, my cost M. I can only do my costs, And you know how long it took me to even do that because it wasn't even listed there. So even by omission, they're taking sides. They're taking sides that this competitor has a little bit more of an advantage than everyone else is doing I, I, designations. So I, so ASSP, they, they got their hand in it too now. No, 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 no. I, I totally understand. What I'm saying is we need to move away from that. Okay, because here's the thing: if we are con if we the ASSP are constantly telling people you need to go to BCSP and get certified, well, then we're handing BCSP money. Yes, and we're also handing them the reins of our profession because Correct. if they are the only game in town, then they define what a professional is by default because we have abdicated. That's that ship has sailed. <laughs> yeah, that, that ship has sailed like years and years and years oh. ago because you can't go to a job application and the only thing that HR will recognize is a CSP. So therefore, that means the money for advertising is going into HR manuals and going into HR groups and everything else saying, you know, put this this certification in your anything that has to do with safety, put it in as a qualification. And now only the people who are hiring for these positions, they're only aware of a handful of certifications because of a juggernaut making sure that it is in the criteria for hiring. So that means everyone's going to have to go and get their designation. And then they're going to have to keep renewing, keep renewing, keep renewing. That ship has so far sailed that it, how can we put that genie in the bottle when it's making them so much money? And how's ASSP going to, you know, it's it, it just the okay. tentacles go out. <laughs> so he, here's the thing. Either, either we can roll over and just cease to exist, right? Or we can take the first step, Right. The first step is decide on a valid definition of what a professional is. Okay. Not using anyone else's criteria, right? It's, it's marvelous that we say, oh, you have to have a degree in something. But now we're saying someone else decides what a professional in our profession is. Okay. We, the society of safety professionals, and I won't even I won't even put the A in because we're worldwide. Yeah. Shouldn't we, the society, 
set the bar for what a professional is. Yeah, right? and that goes to, you know, the ANSI document. What is the, uh, the 520? <laughs> uh, the Z520, I believe it is, right? <laughs> I, I can't remember the numbers. They're all over. Yes, yes. <laughs> there is an ANSI document that people can pay for to get. Oh, man, there you go. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, uh, that ANSI document agrees with, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the Singapore Accords. Yeah. Okay. So that ANSI document agrees with the Singapore Accords. And the Singapore Accords were a bunch of safety folks who got together in Singapore, believe it or not, and they weren't driving Hondas. They just, you know, they sat at a table and called it the Singapore Accords. Yeah. And they said that the difference between a safety professional and a safety practitioner is a college education. They did not say in anything in particular. They just said a college education. That's ridiculous and un- indefensible. Okay. If we want to be taken seriously as a profession, we should define skills and abilities that a, defes- a professional must have. Not they've been granted a degree by someone somewhere for something. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, so we wrote an ANSI document or we were uh, 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 instrumental in the writing of an ANSI document that says what a safety professional is. Is it written in stone? Yeah, and it needs to be updated from time to time, right? So it shouldn't. It's gotta. It's gotta be a living document, right? But you know, all all safety rules need to be living rules. All safety documentation needs to be living documents, right? Because conditions change, environments change. Whenever we see that we're not getting the desired results, we need to update. Now, that update doesn't have to be more strict. In some cases, it can be less strict, right? Um, For years and years and years, if you wanted to be a pilot in the military, you had to have 20-20 vision. Because starting in World War I, they decided that the ability to see the other airplane before it sees you is important. Yeah. Right? This is survival. Yeah. Right? This is a good thing. Back in 1990, I think it was, the Air Force, the Navy, and the Marine Corps, which have fixed-wing pilots, fixed-wing combat pilots, did a study, and they found that a majority of the people they were sending to pilot training were leaving after their initial enlistment. Okay? Oh, classes. Right. And the people that they had as uh, uh, backseat aviators, right, people doing avionics, people being radar intercept officers, people being communications officers, things like that, were staying in the military for an entire career, right? Mm -hmm. So so these, these generals got together and they started thinking and they said, maybe... Maybe 2020 uncorrected vision isn't the best criteria 
for ensuring that we train a pilot and that pilot sticks around. Right. Mm. So they changed it. They said, Hey, if you have 2050 vision correctable to 2020, right. And, and they didn't have you wear glasses under your uh, flight helmet. They ground the visor in the flight helmet into a prescription. Right. Sweet. Which is a, a lot cheaper than training new pilots every six years. Oh yeah. Right. Um, and the the weapon systems on these aircraft go further than human eyesight does. So now maybe so let them take over, right? <laughs> right. So maybe now it's not it's not so important to be able to see that little speck before that little speck sees you. Right. So they changed the criteria because they weren't getting the results they wanted. Yeah. So if if the safety profession hypothetically has a problem with the fact that there are some safety professionals that possibly are not as knowledgeable as we would like, mm-hmm. maybe we should increase the standards. And then if we're finding that some safety professionals that are very good aren't able to achieve uh, 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 the highest ranks or or perches within our uh, association or profession or industry, maybe we need to look at those qualifications and adjust them, right? Yeah. So maybe the college degree isn't as important as the the ability to understand ethics or the ability to uh, create a humble inquiry, the ability to communicate effectively with people, right? Soft skills. Well, and, and I hate that term, right? I know, because but. Skills aren't easy. We Ooh, just. I like that. Yeah. Right. So I'd like to call them hard skills. Yeah, I do like that because truly they, they're called soft skills, but it's really hard to develop those. Yeah, I like right. that. Nice, but, Bill. But it's hard It's hard to test for them on a multiple guest test. So people that have other skill sets just assume that they come along and they don't. You're, yeah. you're not you're not issued integrity when you when you flip your tassel from one side to the other you're you're issued integrity when you earn it and you might earn it in many places most people start learning about integrity from their parents in the home or parent or parent figure Mm -hmm. right the people that mentor them right yep and then there are other places to pick that up. You can pick that up uh, in a work environment. You can pick that up from a mentor in a work environment, whether it's an official mentor or an unofficial mentor, right? There's just so many things, even, you know, if we're down to uh, uh, so many safety and health books out there right now, it's just amazing. Podcasts have been really good in, you know, just bringing some good information, videos such as YouTube channels and everything else have been blowing up where people are learning things. Uh, I'm not a big fan on on, on the testing and getting a certificate uh, for everything because as being the only criteria, because for me, uh, I'm, I'm, 
I personally, and I can tell you this story because uh, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I personally taught a student uh, for the designation class I teach, and it's through uh, the Alliance Safety Council cost, like everyone who listens, uh, the cost program I'm an instructor for it, uh, full disclosure and cost them, uh, both of them. Uh, but um, I had a student that had her CSP. She got her degree from, um, she was a real estate agent. She had her, another degree, but went into real estate for a while. She knew she had a degree. She wanted to get into safety. So she found out that all she needed to do was to test to get a CSP. She grabbed the book uh, for the, the prep book. She's really good at testing and she passed. Didn't know anything about safety, nothing. So she came to the cost class to learn about safety with an active CSP. There's right. something wrong with that. No, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And it, you know, the BCSP doesn't have any interest in uh, being held accountable for your issues or my issues, right? They just say, hey, you know what? We're going to have an election every year or four years or whenever they have their elections. And uh, we're going to have a board of directors and the board of directors is going to do what we think needs to be done. And if you don't like it, vote us out. Yeah, there's no incentive. Right. And the ASSP wants to move to that model. Right. They want to move to a model where the members have say when they vote for directors and president and things like that. But when you look at, uh, you know, the the ballot that comes out, right, Mm -hmm. you will hear all the certifications and degrees that someone has, and you'll hear, you know, how long they've been a member of ASSP and how long they've been doing safety, but you never hear, here's what they stand for. Here, here's their platform, right? They're for uh, uh, local, uh, uh, local chapters to have more of a say in things, or therefore local chapters to have less of a say in things, or therefore... Uh, uh, looking at new ways of of bringing in revenue or therefore increasing the number of members or decreasing the number. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So we're voting on people based on, you know, their hair color and what these two paragraphs say about them, but none of it has to do with what, where they think the organization should go. Whereas, at the local level, at the chapter level, you see these people on a more regular basis. And if you don't like what they're doing, you vote them out. Yeah. Right. And, and you can communicate with them directly. You have their phone number. You have their email address. Yeah. There's not 8,000 other people trying to get a hold of them. Is that accountability you're talking about there? Is that... <laughs> 
<laughs> Accountability. <laughs> well, there's just so much that's that's left to chance. So whenever I hear that uh, we'll let our members uh, or we'll let the the constituents have their voice with the vote, yes, that is definitely you know the the core of what we should do. However, then now that goes into who has been voting, how how what are kind of uh, your your voting uh, patterns. Are you getting a high percentage of voting that is coming in, meaning 50, 60 percent of your members are voting? Uh, what what is the participation? And then how are you reaching all these members? Are you doing it in a in a way that where they are aware of this um, whenever the vote is? And then also, why don't we do videos? Why can't you literally have these people do a video, put it on the site and you could see and hear and do their experience right there like you do commercials? technology for that could we could we do that <laughs> you guys may not have enough money for that i, I uh, you know you guys are still growing the thing is <laughs> you know whether you have one percent of the membership voting or ten percent or thirty percent or fifty percent right you probably don't have a hundred percent don't know what percentage we have but more importantly, I'd be interested in what are the demographics of our members? How many of them are professional members? How many of them are regular members? And what can we do to bolster this? Right? If we don't like the numbers that we see. Now, I, I'm not saying, you know, we have to start kicking out people who fit certain profiles, right? <laughs> to yeah. even things up. I'm saying, how do we become uh, more desirable to the people that are underrepresented in our own organization? Right? Yeah, that makes sense. So if, if we're going to say that the only value in being an ASSP is if you're a college graduate, then we're going to get mostly college graduates. If we're going to say that the only value in being in ASSP is if you have a BCSP certification, then we're going to get mostly people with BCSP certifications. But is that what we want? Is that good for our industry? Is that good for our overall customers? And is that good for you and me? And it's not. Yeah. So... I don't know. I'm sorry. I've been a little uh, uh, disjointed because I'm finishing up my refinance on my house today. Yeah, yeah. That that will get into the psyche, wouldn't it? Well, it's like <laughs> the bank saying, well, if we don't get this document from your current lender, by the end of today, we're going to have to extend the rate lock. And it's like, what are you talking about? Extend the rate lock. <laughs> the, the gibberish. Right. It's like six days isn't going to buy us anything. These people have been a pain in the butt for four years. They're going to continue to be a pain in the butt. We need 60 days. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. Well, I got to run, but uh, go ahead and tell everybody how, how to get a hold of you and if you have any final thoughts. So those final thoughts and how to get a hold of you, those two things. So you can you can reach me at uh, uh, bill at safetymalcontent.com. You know, and of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm relatively approachable on LinkedIn, unless you're, you know, uh, uh, selling currency or cryptocurrency. Uh, I, I probably won't. Constant, isn't it? 
And it's oh my constant. god! <laughs> LinkedIn is getting ridiculous. As okay, soon so as you hit the friend, and then all of a sudden, the connection request is your email, just like boop, 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 boop. <laughs> like, stop I, it. I will. I will connect with anyone if they send me a connection request. And I'm going to go look at your profile. And if you've never posted anything, I'm not going to connect with you. If you've only posted things about uh, uh, selling Fortex and Bitcoin and whatever else, I'm not going to connect with you. If, if you've posted things that you believe in and that mean something to you, I'll connect. I don't care what what your background is or how much education you have or if you're in safety or not i will connect with anyone so long as they're not just a great white shark cruising around linkedin looking for numbers oh sorry yeah no no and i say truly it does the sales cycle doesn't work like that uh you, you honestly have to know someone you have to you know begin to like them trust them and then you give them the money it's not like hey give me your cash that's a robbery. <laughs> if I if I send out eight thousand invites a day, then one percent of those people will accept the invites. Yeah. And then if I send those eighty people uh, uh, a prospect letter, then one percent of those will respond. Right. So it's all numbers, and it's like, no, no, you're an idiot. Work, work harder, <laughs> right? I used to, uh, when I was doing knowledge management, uh, there was a guy at my company who was a, uh, uh, I guess they call him, you know, an, a sales associate, right? So a cold caller. And he literally used to hang up if people answered. What he wanted was their voicemail. So he could speak his little blurb and hang up because then he could make more calls in a day than anyone else and that would ensure that he got the bonus and it's like wow. you're kidding me right you you literally hang up on them if they answer yep yep don't get me started on quotas you're gonna trigger me <laughs> oh. you know i'm I'm actually thinking we should redo this at some point when I'm less disjointed. Yeah, yeah. No, don't worry about it. We got getting up and I, I cut anything and edit it if I need to. So we'll, we'll, we'll do some magic. Pretty soon I'm talking about Margaret Thatcher. Good. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thank you. That was, that was wonderful. Have a good one, man. This episode has been powered by Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast or broadcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within the past hour are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast or broadcast may be reproduced, stored within a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast or broadcast, Sheldon Primus.